Hello, people, and welcome to Punch Drunk Boxing episode 13. All the way to... Comedy, comedy boxing podcast. With uh, my good self, Gareth Mokler, and uh, Richard Mills, my good friend. Brilliant. Is it 13? Is that lucky? I thought it was unlucky. It's going to be lucky for us, because I think this is going to be the pick of the bunch. Mate, all of them are lucky for us. (laughs) (laughs) That's why we're number one boxing podcast. That is. That's true. The number one comedy boxing boxing podcast, absolutely. But um, anyway, uh, welcome to uh, everyone again. How you been, man? I've been good. I've been good. I don't think we've drunk on the show for maybe about five or six episodes. Well, maybe you haven't. I've so, done all my drinking before. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just fill that up. But uh, anyway, yeah, welcome to everybody to uh, the latest episode of the show. We've been uh, away for... It's a bit longer than we intended because Richard was off in Doha. Yeah, I was off there. If you know where that is, congratulations. Hanging out with the King of Qatar, which is cool. I wasn't. I wasn't anywhere near him, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the royalty in any country. But uh, yeah, Richard uh, was away working, but uh, anyway, now he's back, so yeah, we've got episode th- 13 rolling on, so uh, yeah. and a packed and heavy show. Thanks to you. Thanks to Garrett, because um, normally what we'd like to do is run through all the kind of boxing reviews and whatnot and put in as much funny stuff as we can. This week we decided to change it up a little bit yeah. and try to keep the boxing, our shady boxing analysis. To, to the minimum. If you want a boxing analysis... Look, any regular listeners will know we're not particularly good at that. So, anyway, <laughs> so if you want that, just go listen to another podcast. Listen to yeah? the Steve Bont one. Which what, is really good. What, I, what I'd suggest is listen to this one and listen to theirs. Listen mm. to theirs for the insightful, in-depth boxing knowledge and analysis. And listen to me about stories with Barry McGuigan, because I've got loads of them. Oh, loads brilliant. of them. Brilliant. Anyway, yeah, but uh, that'll do for our introduction. But um, let me just like, mention quickly, because we always stick this at the end of the show, but uh, any Twitter followers out there, you can grab us on Twitter. So it's a punch drunk uh, pod on uh, Twitter. But look us up, because I think at the moment we've got like 22 followers. Yeah. And I looked at... Just Don't a, tell him that. Like a friend, of my, a, <laughs> a friend of my sister's, who's not in entertainment, got three times as many. We can't have that. We need to boost up our numbers. Yeah, anyway. but I can't be bothered with any of that Twitter stuff. I know, I'm not, not very good at it either, which I is... Don't like, I don't like tryhards, and that's what Twitter's all about. <laughs> so if you're on Twitter and you're listening to this, don't add us, yeah? Because neither one of us checks it, and we don't have time for that nonsense. Anyway, Send that, us an email. Yeah, that'll do for the introduction. Let's roll on with the show. All right. <laughs> Okay, um, we're on to the first segment, which we've titled General Nonsense. All those bits <laughs> about boxing, which kind of get lost in... So, because Richard was away for the last uh, few weeks, Garrett had a lot of time to himself, and so he decided to spend that reading various boxing books. That's good. As I come in with a... Uh, <laughs> I was reading, right, there's one called... I start off, there's all about kind of general stuff, but how's it ever? So I was watching, uh, read a book called uh, War Baby, and it's by Kevin Mitchell. He's a writer for, like, The uh, Observer. And it's all about the boxing match between uh, McClellan, not, uh, John McClellan and Nigel Benn. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, he's basically written his, a history of that match. Wow. And uh, do you remember, maybe about five or six episodes ago, uh, when we started talking about uh, Michael Nunn? Yeah. And I, before the show started, I handed off to Richard. I came up with an idea for the show and said, we'll do like prison letters from Michael Nunn. And I made up a couple of prison letters. Yeah. And you and my girlfriend turned them down because you said they were flat out racist. Just, yeah, they were. They randomly were. I mean, I know you didn't mean them to be racist. Oh, but, but they definitely oh, came across that way. They were, they were riddled with <laughs> racism. This guy, Kevin Mitchell, does the same thing. There's parts in this book. I mean, it's an excellent book. He writes it very well. It's all about their history. And the um, It's like the glamour of violence. Right, it's like the subtitle. Right. But he puts page after page of he writes in his own style. Gel, what he considers to be Gerald McClellan's thoughts on right. the fight. So like an inner monologue of him writing, talking about <laughs> Nigel Benn. It's just some of the worst stuff I've ever read. I've really? never come across something that's... You read and go, oh, that's, that's racist, mate. Yeah, but that's, maybe... maybe try, yeah, yeah but you don't know. Maybe this, this writer, what's his name again? Kevin Mitchell. Yeah, maybe he actually kind of knew or he's seen a lot of footage and he actually... I mean, he does... got acting lessons and, like, and learned, to, learned to feel... What it was like. To, I mean, to... I'm sure he's empathetic with uh, McClellan, but I mean, he does go to meet him at the end of the book. God, he's without a kind of, bastard, isn't he? Without ruining anything. I mean, I'd ask this question, right? Why? This is so after McClellan has been injured in the boxing match, he gets brain uh, damage. Should we tell? Yeah, give, should we give listeners? I mean, they should know. Okay? Yeah, I guess. I mean, look up. It's one of the uh, greatest fights of the 90s, but uh, McClellan uh, got a brain hemorrhage afterwards and uh, yeah. brain damage out thing. Anyway, Mitchell, go, Mitchell goes to meet him at his house. Yeah. And just goes in, and I mean, this is the question I'd ask: Why bother? Well, they've been like cruel about it, but what possible information could you get from this man? Apart, you know, he's yeah, in man. like a terrible yeah, state. But, you know, yeah, he's respect, definitely maybe. blind, and well, it's also good for him to realise what what state he's in. 
Yeah, I get well, people have It's a... Uh... Yeah. I mean, yeah, again, people haven't uh, forgotten about it or whatever. But um, anyway, that was one of the numerous books. I read Barry McGuigan's autobiography. Yeah. And we were told, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, about Barry McGuigan drinks about 40 cups of tea a day. Because yeah. our friend Niall had talked about it. Yeah. Turns out that's... Absolute rubbish. Yeah, not one mention of a cup of tea inside <laughs> the whole, whole well, entire that's thing. That's a good lie, though. He had me believe in that for about I believe 15 that. years. I mean, the fun, what's the funniest one there? Uh, McGuigan tells this story about it. He says, oh, as a kid, I was like a bit of a tear away. And I'd be like out in the streets, not like doing anything bad, but you know, just a bit kind of lively. And it said, uh, one day his dad takes him and the brothers to London Zoo, in the London Zoo, to Dublin Zoo. Oh, right. And uh, McGuigan comes in there and he sees. I've been to Dublin Zoo. They had like a monkey show, like little baby little chimpanzee monkeys. A and, show? What do you mean a show? Oh, like they bring the monkeys out of the cages. Oh, and they they show don't them like to... dress them up in old Edwardian costumes. Oh, no, no, just allow, the, kid, <laughs> okay. allow the kids to play with them. Oh, I wouldn't put that past Dublin. Zoo. And, uh, oh, no. McGuigan <laughs> <laughs> says, yeah, I was only about like, eight years old at the time. And so his dad goes, here you go, the trainers standing there with the monkeys. Yeah, come out yeah, of my head. Yeah. And McGuigan goes, oh, I'll just do what any kid would do. I'll just grab him the headlock. I just grab the monkey around the head. The thing is going, rah, rah, rah. It's not just a small monkey. Some monkeys can rip a man's arm off. Oh, but McWiggle's quite strong, even at that age. Oh, that's true. Massive I forgot about that. Rips <laughs> in the headlock. The thing's screaming its head off. And he gets really terrified and doesn't know what to do, so he just calls off. Really? <laughs> the monkey's oh. like, rah, rah, so McGuigan's, they're both in a state of panic. Love <laughs> <laughs> it. Until, uh, unfortunately, the tra- <laughs> like the monkey, I don't know, guardian or whatever, has to come over and kicked him out of the zoo. Sent them on oh, the way after. Fair enough. I was, I was half expecting somebody to come up like from the zoo with a tranquilizer duck gun, and both, <laughs> both a monkey and McGuigan. Bang! I, 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 I guess one of the reasons I brought McGuigan up, I watched um, Carl Frampton fought. Oh, yeah. About a week and a half ago. I guess we'll talk about it a bit later in the show. But um, in McGuigan's autobiography, he, he obviously talks about it like uh, when he won his world titles. He was fighting um, no, Pedroza. I bet, I bet back, he does. I bet there's a whole. Back in like 1986. And uh, this in QPR is football ground. Loftus Road. Uh, Loftus Road in the stadium. So there's like 30,000 people crammed into this place. And this is back oh, in the 80s where... Oh, yeah, I guess. But it wasn't even like a, people sitting around the place. Everyone was standing up beside the ringside. So yeah. Yeah, the whole, everyone yeah, 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 yeah. You see McGuigan come out like the corner, head down, thing on, and just literally pushing his way through the crowd yeah. to get there. And this deafening roar coming over the top, and just raw, gets into the ring, does what he does, wins over... Uh, wins the fight, becomes like a world champion. Yeah. Great day in uh, British boxing history. Yeah. Carl Frampton was fighting two weeks ago. And very similar scene. So it's this one, they're fighting in Belfast, 10,000 people. And it's like a, an eliminator for a world title. And again, the crowd is deafening. Bro, I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. walking out. And you can see McGuigan just behind him. Like, walking up, he's the manager, he's yeah, like, on yeah, the shoulder. Yeah. They get into the ring and Frampton just climbs through the ropes. And he's standing there, big roar, big roar. And you see McGuigan comes through the ropes. And clearly something hits him, like, I'm hung after this. <laughs> <laughs> Start shouting pots. <laughs> It's just like muscle memory kicks in, isn't it? Oh, it was so good. <laughs> Love that guy. But um, oh, it's a good read. I'd highly recommend it. Go off and... Oh, um, okay. But no tea. No tea. Not even a cup mention of I like a cup of tea. Um, his life, I guess, I won't go into this too much. I'd recommend reading that book. But his Maybe. life is shrouded by... There's real kind of there's a black cloud that hangs on him and his family. Yeah, this is kind yeah. of the way What's he it? describes it. It's his brother or something died. His brother uh, committed suicide. His That's youngest it. daughter, thank God she survived, but she got leukemia. He found out that uh, right. the night that he uh, found out he was going to fight for the world championship, he um, found out his dad turned around to him and said, "Listen, I've just been diagnosed with." Um, uh, Sorry, that's my phone. That's right. <laughs> <His dad laughs> Perfect timing. <laughs> just being diagnosed with dude. <laughs> it's like, yeah, the diagnosed with their cancer, two years to live, and um, it's one of those things where you hear stories of oh, they give him two years to live, yeah, yeah, yeah. live like twenty years. Nah, this oh, the doctor was like spot on, guy died. But um, the weirdest, I guess, the weirdest one was on the night that he won his world title. Yeah, obviously, all his family is over in uh, London to watch it. Yeah, back home in the Clunes, like the little town that he comes from. That um, on the same night, his family's TV, like there was a spark plug or whatever went wrong, but the TV like burst into flames. Yeah. Burnt the in- entire house down. Fuck it. So all his boxing memories, all those uh, boxing memorabilia that he'd built up from like being Commonwealth champion. Well, did he leave them on top of the telly? It's <laughs> <laughs> quite a common thing to do, like. <laughs> I had my cousins, they always used to leave their Irish dancing uh, trophies <laughs> on top of their telly. They do have a tendency to do that. That's a very <coughs> Irish trait. If you win anything, put it on top of their telly. I mean, it doesn't work these days with all these fucking LG or whatever they are, the plasma screen. and Yeah. Too thin. But uh, yeah, on the night, so he wins his title and all his stuff in the house. 
all memories just like kind of disappears oh, okay. in this like, up in a cloud of smoke. But um, very dark. Oh uh, yeah, I mean it's a maybe it's a maybe, fa- fascinating story. Maybe recommend he wrote reading two autobiographies: one about the dark and you know troubled aspects yeah. of his life, and another one about his addiction to tea. <laughs> And now I read the, the cheerier one. <laughs> the second one. It's just about him, how many cups of tea he has. What anyway, else? let's get off that. All right, I, what else do I read? But I'll stop talking about boxing books in a second. But um, <laughs> there's one. The only reason I bring this up, because it's, it's about um, Big Joe Egan. Do you know who this guy is? Is this, <coughs> is this about the toughest white man on the planet? Yeah, that is... That's the title of the book. Let's let's keep going with it. Technically, you brought this up episode one. Oh, but did I? That's not on the internet, so let's do it again. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realise. Anyway, so Joe Egan used to be like a heavyweight boxer in the uh, late eighties and early nineties. Never was like a world level. Never really like European level either. But uh, anyway, he wrote an autobiography entitled "The Toughest White Man on the Planet." Um, the reason he's called that is he used to spar with Mike Tyson when they were like eighteen. Yeah. This when Mike Tyson was living in uh, when Mike Tyson, the Catskills in New yeah. York with. Um, uh, Customado been his trainer yeah. and um, anyway he comes in and he befriended uh, Tyson at this stage and then stayed friends read their life and, uh, and on just a throwaway comment Mike Tyson just won they said because he wasn't able to knock Egan out in, tra- in sparring this is clearly the toughest white man on the planet <laughs> Egan God love him took that quote and I went I'm a, I'm a builder I'm going to have a publishing <laughs> career I'm right in the back of that absolutely loved it oh, brilliant anyway so you tell this story and I didn't know this and this is the only reason I'm bringing it up that Mike Tyson and him they wanted to take Tyson to... Um, he took him back to Dublin to meet the mum. And um, doing there, and you can imagine, like, thousands of people show up, and it's uh, Mike Tyson is sitting uh, down, like, the... Just in the family front room. And his oh. mum, Egan's mum at this stage, maybe, like, 80 years old, hands around, they're taking, like, photographs and whatever. And um, Tyson turns around to her. So this is maybe, like... Tyson coasted, like, nearly 45, 50 at the time. Yeah, yeah. And it turned around to the mum and goes, yeah, I remember the birthday present you sent me when I was 18. And That's he goes, nice. what do you mean? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember I got, like, a parcel in the post and had, like, a couple of jumpers, a pair of shorts, and a couple of packs of potato crisps. <laughs> <laughs> I bet the jumpers were hand-knitted, right? I don't, I don't know. And, uh, he said, and a bit of money, which I can only imagine were Irish pounds at the time. <laughs> and, um, anyway, yeah, he goes, yeah, 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 you gave me that at 18. And the mum's like, sure, I don't remember doing that at all. And it's like, listen, I'm one of those type of people where yeah, people... just remember that. Yeah, he don't when, give when, me... when I get small silver coins with stags on them <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember them exactly but um anyway yeah it was a nice uh, oh, kind that's of touch great. but they, they went off to slide they took them down to Sligo Ta- and... that's, that sounds likely bags of tatoes in the yeah and a jumper and a bit of che- Irish money cheese and onion oh they'd have to be they're the best ones no and uh, anyway, took him down to Sligo. Egan and your uh, your man went down, and uh, apparently the, the, the good people of Sligo, my hometown, had a two day party. <laughs> <laughs> Any excuse? <laughs> no reason. Just put them in like a big hotel. They had like a uh, I don't know charity box or whatever. Not including Tyson. And then yeah. Two days of non-stop drinking Brilliant. to celebrate and showing up. Yeah. Loved well, it. As I say, any excuse? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we've got to... I'll move into, like, a proper bit of boxing news. So, right. um, anyway, possibly a big one, because I just love the idea of this fight. So, Eddie Hearn, uh, the British boxing promoter, said he wants to stick up Carl Froch, so the current IBF WBA super middleweight champion, oh, yeah. trying to take him up against Gennady Golovkin, who's... Unbelievable record of 27-0 with 24 knockouts. If only Golovkin would agree to it. Well... What do you think? Because that would be... I'd like it. Yeah, I'd like that. I'd like that. You've caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting that to come out. Um, It'd be a step yeah. up for Golovkin, obviously, but... Um, yeah, but he is fucking odd as now, isn't he? It, and he's got a real devastating knockout punch. Yeah. And I've look- seen... The thing is, though, all I would say is I've seen Frotch in trouble. I have never seen Golovkin in trouble. Yeah, I mean... Golovkin hasn't fought quite the calibre of... No. And bigger men. But he's been dropped by Jermaine Taylor and... Yeah, Drew. And who <coughs> else? Jean Pascal dropped him. Uh, no, Pascal didn't knock him yeah, down. Yeah, he did. He did knock him down. But uh, again, it would be... Just in terms of like, dream fights, I'd absolutely love that one. Yeah, that would be great. Who was the other one they were talking about Gennady Golovkin fighting recently? Um, uh, the Sergio Martinez. Maybe. I think it's Floyd Mayweather. Oh, yeah, that's never yeah, going to happen. No, 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 no. Floyd's never taken that dangerous, something that dangerous on. No. But uh, what else do we hear? That uh, Amir Khan, so apparently he's not going to be fighting again in 2013. Yeah, he's he wants to get the Mayweather fight. Yeah, this it? is that, exactly yeah. that. And so apparently the Mayweather one might be lined up for May 2014. But this, I guess, where it falls down a little bit. Just Tim Bradley won his last fight against uh, Manuel yeah. Marquez. Yeah. How is Bradley not the guy who's stepping into 
take, if anyone is going to fight Mayweather, why would that be Amir Khan? That's surely got to be Bradley stepping in yeah, going. Yeah, maybe Bradley doesn't want to. Bradley's got a belt. What sort of Bradley can go off and do his own thing? He'll probably just lose to Mayweather. Oh, just I don't know. Amir Khan. I'll put it this way. If Tim Bradley managed to beat Pacquiao, I mean, he didn't, but he did. If he beat Manuel Marquez, and then... Oh, well, no, he, beat, I mean. he beat Marquez. He yeah, beat and then coming up against just in terms of like three, you're fighting three of the greatest boxers of the last like fifty years, all in the space of like three, a few fights. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it'd be a completely remarkable achievement. I'd love it. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd give him, I'd give him a, I'd give him a, a fair not, chance. Not really, no. <laughs> <laughs> not after that last fight, I saw. I'll say, well, oh, let me just give a like quick recommendation because we're looking at, um, we'll talk about this. Uh, Hang on, I was nice to hear down. Dennis Pennis, what's that? Oh, I was looking up um, my favourite quote that I saw recently. Yeah. Was that uh, Dennis Pennis, who was like a, yeah, in the yeah. in mid 90s, like for any Paul K. Paul K, yeah, he was uh, Dennis Pennis, it was his character yeah. that he had in the mid 90s doing his own. Uh, he also did It All Went Pete Tong, that film, right. which is actually. It's actually a good film. Really? Yeah. I've yeah, never no, seen that. It is. I've never tempted. Dennis, no, it's good. I mean, it's good. Dennis Penner's character was absolutely fantastic. This uh, obnoxious <laughs> American. But anyway, he came up and he met Chris Eubank. He interviewed him for one of the uh, things. And looked at Eubank and said, um, Chris, have you ever thought about uh, you know writing your autobiography? And Eubank, dead serious, just turned back and went, on what? <laughs> <laughs> there's, hey. there's genius hey. <laughs> Chris Eubank. Yeah. <laughs> always, always like that guy. I know, it's very, very cool. But, um, Anyway, I, because I watched this uh, last uh, last night, I'm not like an overly huge fan of the UFC. Okay. But um, UFC 166, so you'll be able to find this on uh, YouTube, or we'll stick the link on the website and you can have a quick look, because there's a fight no, on there we which won't. is... We never do that. We always make comments and say, we'll put this up, <laughs> neither one of us ever bothered doing it. <laughs> it encourages people to go to the no, website. Just, it's just they just get fed up, mate. But uh, <laughs> there was a fight on there between uh, two Mexicans called, the uh, first guy, uh, Gilbert Melendez, versus uh, Diego Sanchez. And um, just one of the greatest fights I've ever seen. Not in terms really? of like skill-wise. <clears throat> UFC is normally it's all about wrestling and jiu-jitsu. This is just stand-up. And um, Melendez said before the fight, listen, if people start throwing punches at me, I don't back up. I just bite down on my gum shield and I just go for it. <laughs> and you think, well, yeah, everyone yeah, says everyone that. Like, come says on. That. Maybe like two minutes into it, <laughs> Sanchez gets psh, rocked, goes back a little bit. He bites down his cup. You know that Mayorga thing of hitting yourself in the yeah, face? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, come on. That's exactly what he does. And just oh. goes crazy and starts swinging these big windmill punches that both of them just stand there and think, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm Mexican as well. No way of me stopping. Yeah. They do that for 15 minutes. It's one of the craziest... That's 15 a, minutes? Yeah, three five-minute rains. Just one of those mind-blowing fights where you think, that oh, is... wow. That's yeah. spoil the ending. Oh, that sounds... Oh, no, it's... And it switches around, but maybe like, oh, I won't give him more details, but yeah, have a look. All Melendez right. versus uh, Sanchez. Well, well, like... Anyway, my, <laughs> sorry, my favourite bit about it. So uh, Sanchez is sitting in his corner, and again, he's real tough, but he's got like cut eyebrows at this stage, and like his face all bust up. And he sits down after like the round one, and the trainer walks over, and he's like, you can see him like panting, his eyes are like wide open. And the trainer just sits down in front of him and goes, okay, mate, just calm down, calm down, just, just find your waterfall. Just find your waterfall. The guy's in there. It's like find your waterfall. Yeah, your inner peace. Find your waterfall. It's the greatest single line. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's nice. Nice. I mean, I'm not not entirely sure what it means, but find your inner peace. Just get the gist, don't you? That's... Just read, read into it what you will. <laughs> I love it. It's okay. not as. I mean, that fight's um, absolutely incredible. It's possibly not either as crazy or as incredible. This thing I heard um, when I was reading that Kevin Mitchell book. Oh yeah. He talked about, uh, you ever heard of Brazilian funk balls? No. Right. No, I have not. <laughs> Brazilians, especially uh, the kind of poor uh, Brazilian teenagers who live in the kind of favelas. Survivors. Dirt poor and little to entertain themselves. So it used to be the case maybe about 10 years ago. They start going down to like the uh, beach. Right. And uh, obviously Brazil's beautiful beaches, going down there, hanging out. Police didn't like that. The rich people of Brazil didn't like. Oh, yeah. Coming out yeah, and started yeah. <clears throat> scared of away and like the... Brazilian police tactics are they'll kill people, they'll shoot street children. That's yeah. what they do. Anyway, so one guy had an idea of, listen, these kids, they love, they love music, they love kind of samba, they love violence, so why don't we combine them two things together and make a lot of money? And 
there's a you can look this up on uh, online. They're called funk balls. So funk is in the music and the ball is in a dance. Right. And what they do is um, all the kind of local gangs, they head down to this, uh, like a big massive empty warehouse. There'll be a DJ up at one end playing loud. Kind of, it's a certain specific right. type of music, like a loud, angry like shit kind of bass. Music, yeah. They have two entrances above the door, side A and side B. All right. Your kid, you uh, pay to kind of get it and whatever. You can decide whichever one to go down. Right. And the way it works is, these literally thousands of kids will pile into this warehouse and they employ ex-policemen to be like the kind of bounties of the place. Right. And they walk down, they create like a gap, an aisle in the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Side A on one side and side B on the other. Everyone's dancing around, getting a bit violent. And the idea is that when the DJ plays out one of the kind of big crazy songs, you're as either on side A or side B, what you're planning to do is get to the other side, so you run across the divide... And you try and swing and kick and stab and do as much crazy violence to the other oh. side as humanly possible. Kids have died in the last like ten years. There's something crazy like seventy children. That sounds horrible. These are kids from the age of, like eleven or so up to the age of about sixteen who go into this place and all the gangs just stand there. They don't bring a kind of weapons in or they're not supposed to. But if you get to one side, unless your friends can come over and pull you back, they'll stand there and just when they give like too much detail, we're going to stamp your head in. Oh, I don't like the sound of that. This is huge in Brazil. This has been going on for the last like decade. It get, barely gets any coverage. Oh, is it popular? Yeah, there's like thousands of people. Oh, right. Like, well, then I might like it then. These like every weekend, they have Brazilian funk boards coming on, and this is how poor Brazilian kids entertain themselves. Oh, wow. All, all that kind of aggression they've got from living in some poor shantytown kind of shithole. All right, people. Well, there's a nice bleak insight. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a world of but, end. End of uh, end of the news, and back to boxing. Let's hope. <laughs> okay, um, next up, we are going to do. We're very pleased to announce that uh, Roberto Duran, friend of a show, boxing legend, he is back. He got his I advice mean, column. Yeah, he's back with his advice column for you listeners. Now we're not. He, he was away for a couple of shows. Not really a hundred percent sure. It was rumored he was in training camp with a rubber match with uh, Jorge Castro, but uh, we haven't... We, we didn't find out. No, because no details on the internet. Just more internet lies. Just like <laughs> Audley Harrison doing the running of the ball. <laughs> uh, let's crack on. So, yeah, we've got him back, um, and unfortunately, due to the hostile nature of one of our listeners' questions, we're not actually sure if he'll ever be back on the show, oh. to be honest, so... Um, so maybe I won't bother doing the, <laughs> the thing because uh, let's just let's just try to enjoy this rather short communication and keep our fingers crossed it will be back uh, in the future. Okay, so oh, should I say who um, sent us in the question? Yeah, basically, yeah, he sent it in to you, didn't he? Well, it was just an administrator from the Sado Boxing Forum. Yeah, is that pronounced right? Yeah, Sado? yeah, I'll give a shout out to him because we uh, I go on and like uh, post on. Links to the show okay. and other uh, answer yeah. questions and whatnot. But um, anyway, he asked us a question. Yeah, well, this is what you forwarded to me to pass on to Roberta. He said, ask Roberta Duran why he's not more proud of being half Mexican. Most people don't know that his father is Mexican and moved to Panama, and that's where he met his wife. Shit, his last name is Mexican. Then you can tell him, maybe if he was more in tune with his Mexican side, he wouldn't have quit versus Duran. It's aggressive, isn't it? It's a bit hostile. A little bit. It's a little bit hostile. Now, this guy, you're obviously not mm, particularly aware that Roberto Duran's father abandoned him as a baby. So technically, if you want to get your facts right, yeah, I'm not sure how proud I'd be of my father or his heritage if he'd walked out on me as a kid. So, you know... I I don't like to always, you know... Hold your horses there, Tiger, because he's been a bit... Yeah, so it's probably his dad's weak Mexican DNA that... (laughs) (laughs) Caused him to quit against Duran. In fact, it was that little bad abandoning part of his dad, um, you know, made him mm, run out. The I'm, kernel of insecurity that yeah. paid dividends years later. And he was in there, and that little bad bit of Mexican <laughs> got in there. Um, no, listen. So um, anyway, uh, do you want to hear what um, yeah, what you have absolutely. to say? Yeah, what Roberto? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. He said, uh, "Okay, this is a response." He said, "Richard and Garrett." Nice. If you ever send me any more shit like this again, <laughs> I'm going to fuck your head off. I cut your dick off and send to your mother. <laughs> he said, stick this show in your bollocks. And that was it. And, you know... That's a 
We didn't send the, yeah, but we sent I, the question. Yeah, but but I sent the question. I mean, you know. To kill the messenger just because. Yeah, but I should have. It was pretty dumb of me to send it on. Do you know why I did it? Because he, we were sending in the letters. He wasn't responding. I thought, oh, you know, I'll send this in. This will get him to respond. I'm going to fuck your head off. Exactly. Look, they're written down there. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I mean. No, I mean. It doesn't sound good, does it? It doesn't, but, yeah. And again, you know, I do feel partly responsible for leading us into a situation. I never should have passed it on, but anyway. Um, you know, I, I don't like to blame the listener, but we, we do... <laughs> we just want to remind listeners out there that the point of this segment is not to ask Roberto about his career or his boxing-related questions. This is an advice section where Roberto helps you with your everyday problems, you know? Don't bring um, up demons yeah. from the past that he clearly doesn't like. Things like, oh, I've got a problem with my next-door neighbour. Yeah. His party's a little bit too hot. <laughs> <laughs> well, my kids won't do their homework. Things like that. Keep it light. Yeah. Oh, he did He did end on a little footnote underneath um, after he'd said, uh, stick the show in your bollocks. He said, um, <laughs> said El Aguera no se entrene... Oh, I can't even read this. En casa moscas. But anyway, I looked it up and yeah. it translated as the eagle doesn't waste time hunting flies. <laughs> <laughs> so, so maybe, maybe, that's, maybe yeah. that's why he didn't even respond to the question. Uh, that made perfect sense to me. Well, I thought. That's what I thought. I liked it. But, um, but uh, yeah, you know, I mean. That's bad, but I didn't want, want to piss the guy off. No, but the really sickening thing is, I had a, another brilliant message from Roberto, which I forwarded to him, or yeah, for him, um, which he obviously didn't respond to, and it was uh, from the ex bass player of 80s pop band Duran Duran, <laughs> <laughs> asking him if he wanted to uh, open a steakhouse together in the Birmingham area. <laughs> <laughs> didn't even acknowledge that one. <laughs> So that's a shame. Sorry out there uh, to the ex. That's tragic, because that would have been... It would have been good. Yeah. But um, while we are on the subject, just because there's a good chance we might never have this segment again, <laughs> um, I just want to give you guys um, a little bit of an update. On, uh, basically, we had a lovely email for, for regular listeners um, of a show. They right, might remember somebody called uh, Peterborough Boy. Um, who I think we referred to as Bazza, but his name is Brian Jenkins. He's written back into hey, us. Um, yeah, <laughs> updating us on his work situation. Um, this now, is he, good, was, was... he was the one with all the piss whip problems <laughs> <laughs> back on back on episode nine, the one who's made loads of typo errors. Um, but yeah, anyway, he kindly wrote in to say that um, he found out who was pissing on the toilet seats hey, at work, and nice. that, um, they've handed him their notice. Oh, there was a big, there was a big <laughs> confrontational thing. Person's handing him their notice. The culprit only has one week left. So, you know, another successful outcome is proof that if you do write in sensible letters to Roberto, <laughs> that issues can be resolved in a proper manner. You know, um, so yeah. That's, that's good. That's 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 pretty much. Look again, Baz's problem was that someone was pissing or whipping piss. Yeah, his name's it. Brian. Brian Jenkins. He just signed it B, so we yeah. called him Bazza. But yeah, yeah. so thanks, Brian, and make sure you let us know how the new work colleague turns right. out. Yeah. Cheers, Baz. Yeah. Oh, oh she's a bird, mate. <laughs> a right old sort for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna move into the reviews. Uh, yeah. Part of the show now. It's not going to be much for me to review. I reckon we keep it, <laughs> I reckon we keep it down to a ten, 10 words per fight. Why not? <laughs> the chan- no, seriously, go on, Garrett. Crack in with... Um... Okay, so a couple of these are from um, a few weeks back, but I will go through them quickly. So one... Uh, what's it, Let's big not one. bother with records and things, all of that. Why not? So um, <laughs> on a Saturday, 28th of uh, September, there was Adonis Stevenson coming up against uh, Tavoris Cloud. So this was for... Uh, the WBC light heavyweight champion, Stevenson, uh, knocked out Tavares Cloud in round seven. So that's the famous Tavares Cloud who cost me money fighting B-Hop. Bernard, well... Never forget him, so I was... Never bet on or against B-Hop. I was more than thankful that he got knocked out. But, um, anyway, yeah, a very good uh, performance by uh, Stevenson, I guess. But um, I guess, like, the most interesting thing for us is Tony Blue. Oh, yeah. We're a big fan of is... that's He's going to be, yeah... I wouldn't say a big fan, just a fan. Big fan. Mild, oh. mild fan. <laughs> <laughs> I like the guy. But uh, anyway, yeah, that's going to be um, Stevenson's next. Oh, here's another summer girl. <laughs> That'll be, yeah, he's going to be Stevenson's next um, opponent. So, what do you reckon? Uh, yeah. Stevenson's getting on a bit. He's 36. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's always hard to... I like 
values work ethic, but mm. I don't think maybe not the I don't think he's as hard or destructive as he thinks he is, and I I don't know. He does have a good shaved head though, which always makes him look a lot more aggressive than yeah probably should do. But um, anyway, that will be one to look forward to. Well, my, one of my favourite fights of the last couple of weeks was the um, next one. So this was it's on the same night, but uh, Julio <laughs> Julio Caesar Chavez Jr. Uh, Supermate division uh, coming up against Brian Vera, and I watched this. And I gotta say, there's not that many times you actually see someone in a box and you think, oh, that's an absolute robbery. And this oh, one wasn't, shocked. contrary to, I'm not, I gotta say, contrary to most of the kind of views that come out at the time. But um, it was one of those where Vera, to my mind, won by a couple of rounds over, he lost a, a split decision to uh, Chavez. Yeah. But this was a fight that was originally scheduled to be at like 160 pounds. I heard. And Brian Vera was paid an extra $400,000 to agree to fight at an even higher Weight limit after the weight limit, and <laughs> he failed Chavez because he's been on the pies and eating burgers oh, yeah. for the last like two months. He came in. I don't think he. I don't think he'd fought for maybe like nine months before this. Anyway, came in. It was originally supposed to be one hundred sixty pounds. Went up to like one hundred sixty-five. Went up to one hundred seventy. Before this fight, had been inactive for over a year. Oh, it was even longer than nine months. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Chubby McGrew couldn't <laughs> even come in at then. Finally, came into the ring at one hundred seventy-six pounds when it was intended to be one hundred sixty. I mean, that shows. That shows a real rack of discipline. <laughs> rack. Major. A real rack. Ah, oh, you got no discipline. Real rack of discipline. But um, <laughs> it's one of those strange things where, again, there for it's a bit tragic for his point of view because, um, to my mind, he clearly won. And um, Chavez shows he's just a much better boxer. Vera outworked him, but yeah. every couple of rounds, Vera uh, would just get uh, tagged on the chin, be wobbled a little bit, but he definitely outworked him enough to actually win the fight. Yeah. And um, it's one of those kind of tragic things when he, so afterwards, the announced result, they cost to outside, and you see uh, Vera's uh, girlfriend with the family sitting ringside. He's got a real pretty girlfriend, I should say. Well, you'd hope. Don't and get in a um, fight game if you don't get a nice Doris. It's one of those things where he clearly expected to win the fight. And so did everyone in the crowd. And so they, and the winner is by split decision. Yeah. Who do you? And you just see the his girlfriend, like a proper Mexican woman should, not just, oh, that's a bit annoying, just fuck you! <laughs> screaming like the whole family. She, like, didn't, she didn't run into the ring, did she? She should have run into the ring. Wow. But um, don't like the whole family is going crazy. The whole place the great, was booing. Sorry, there's a great story about, um, this is just to try and get him back on the show, but great story about Roberto Duran. It's a bit of a myth about he knocked a guy out um, in one of his earlier fights and the girlfriend was in a hysteric, run into the ring at him, and he turned round quick as a flash. This is well, this is a quote from Don <laughs> King, and he said, and he said, Roberto Duran swung round and knocked her out with a punch twice as hard as the punch he knocked the knocked the boxer out. With. And Roberto denies it. Yeah, there was a giant invasion, just like the crowd just went because I I think it was in Mexico or somewhere. No, I like to see a in, woman get hit. No. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, there's, it's just I can't remember exactly what it is, but you got to look it up. And the way Don King words it, it's just like you smooth motherfucker, <laughs> you smooth lame motherfucker. Um, anyway, sorry, but uh, yeah, an absolute robbery to Vera, which is yeah, completely tragic. You see, I'll just quickly talk. I don't know. I watched this fight, but not like not like most people would have watched it, which is on a telly or on the internet. I watched it on YouTube, but it was basically some Mexican guy who'd filmed it on his. TV with a real budget camcorder, right? I mean, the worst quality. You could hear him opening cans of beer into a background, right? And um, we do that. Yeah, yeah, I know. But the best bit was when his angry Mexican wife would come into the room and shout him in Spanish. <laughs> and literally, the minute you, he'd never respond, just silent. She'd be going, oh, no, 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 John. He'd just sit there, not a word. The minute she'd walk out of the room, there's the best bit about like, 10 seconds pass and all you hear was <laughs> just another can of beer um, but yeah it's brilliant just wash the nag away um, That's but funny. yeah but uh, anyway what was the next one that was this one we were talking about before we started the show but um, again it's on the uh, same evening but Miguel Cotto making his comeback got oh yeah him. yeah so uh, junior middleweight division up against Delvin Rodriguez mm. and uh, Cotto came out with a really impressive we got to say third round TKO after uh, I mean Rodriguez isn't like the greatest fighter in no, the world no. but um, he looked like 
Does it look like spark back? Yeah, it looked like the old Miguel Cotter. The see, that's Miguel what I heard. There was, I heard. I didn't actually see the fight. I saw the. I think I saw the highlight of the the knockdown, which mm. looked like it might have been stopped a little early. But um, I heard a lot of positive things about it. But I just the only question in my mind is the quality of the opponent. Yeah, true. But I guess you can. Oh, I don't know that old uh, cliche of you only. As good as the person you maybe come just, up against. Yeah, that maybe he just needs to get a bit of confidence back. Uh, I mean, he looked absolutely superb. Okay. And, um, so hopefully, in the future, that'll be one he can come up against Sol Alvarez, which yeah. is a fight he should have had, or both of them should have had, maybe about two years ago. But um, what was the <laughs> the next one on the list? And uh, this is just a crazy uh, fight for all the kind of wrong reasons. But um, Vladimir Klitschko, heavyweight oh, champion of the world. Dude, I don't even for want his, to talk about this match, mate. I absolutely love this. For his numerous uh, kind of ring and WBA and whatever other titles he has, coming up against Alexander uh, Povetkin, number one. These are like two Olympic champions. What, what hugging? I saw this. Stuff. It's an absolute <laughs> joke. Uh, the only thing I want to talk about in this fight was I was listening to the commentary in Russian and there was all this talking... And then I like, heard... it is genuinely my favourite way to watch anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Russian. And this guy is going on talking about when they're in the ring, and all I hear, the only words I understand is Lennox Lewis as Zab Judah. <laughs> and then it's quiet. And I think, well, that's an odd that's an odd two boxes yeah. to put in the same sentence. I'm thinking he's staring, it's been talking about Klitschko, it's in him, it's just before the fight. And he's he's there with his belts and things, and there's all doing all the stats. And I hear Lennox Lewis is a Judah, and I'm thinking, okay, what's the link? So I was got curious. Then halfway through the fight, the same two names come up again. <laughs> so he's obviously mentioned two, and I'm just thinking, what could he possibly uh, be talking yeah. about? And you know, sure, a lot of people say it's not that big a deal, but. Watching that fight, you <laughs> fucking clutch anything you can. And it led me to think, right, we're not going to talk about this fight. We're going to throw that question out to the listeners, <laughs> get them to write into us, and we want to know is what can, plausible link can you make between well, Lennox Lewis and Zab Judah? Especially when you're watching... Yeah, and yeah, Klitschko. That's... Throw Klitschko into the mix. So it's Lewis, Klitschko, and it's Vlad. It's not Vitali who fought Lennox. Yeah. See? That is a odd one. But uh, I, I guess, for anyone who hasn't seen this, it was complete whitewash on um, Klitschko's part. Terrible, terrible, terrible refereeing. Oh. <laughs> Where um, just Klitschko constantly grabbing and leaning just and... continually forcing his head down, like clearly, blatantly pushing, not just leaning and clinching. It was the, the driving of the neck down. I, my favourite thing about it, well, there's a couple of things. One, amazingly, that brought in like 12 million viewers when they show that in Germany. I watched it on BT Sport like the next day. And um, they showed, like, the whole of the fight. And then they had Richie Woodall, the former, I think it was, like, WBA, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, super middleweight champion. And he was the guy doing, like, the color commentary and the analysis on the show. I so like, he turns around to I the like host. Richie. He's a really nice guy. Yeah. Turns around to the host. And he goes, uh, he's explaining about the fight. And he goes, listen, I just want to show you a couple of things. And the host looks back at him and, and just goes, uh, we'll get to it in a minute. And starts talking about something else. Just even, I'm thinking, I'm just a bit unprofessional for, like, BT Sport. I know you're a newly launched channel, whatever, yeah. but you kind of want to show it. Anyway, Woodall brings it up again, like, a minute later, and goes, yeah, I just want to show you a couple of things. And I'm expecting, like, a clip to come on. And then the host, you could see his head just go, oh, all right. <laughs> Woodall stands <laughs> up from the desk. The camera kind of pulls back. <laughs> Woodall walks to the front of the desk, and you see the host has to walk with him. What Woodall meant is, I'm going to demonstrate you. I'm gonna, we're just going to stand up in front of each other. I'm going to demonstrate you what I mean. As a Woodall stand, gets in his stand, and the host is just standing there, at arms by his side, like, this is so ridiculous. There's just no need for this. And Woodall lines up in his boxing post and goes, so what he was doing is throwing out the jab. Whoosh! Whoosh! He's like, perfect, like a jab, straight. And the host is just standing there like, this isn't, this isn't necessary. And then he was like, Woodall's like, and then he grabbed Throws out a jab, just both hands. <laughs> right, the host there. Oh, push them down. And so the host just oh, went, when is this going to be over? <laughs> oh, oh, I wish I'd watched that. That's a... That, yeah, fantastic. I love you enjoyed that fight. Yeah, but I mean, the rest of it was absolutely terrible. The only thing I'll say is that... He does have a mean jab. He does have a mean Man, jab. Some of those jabs, just proper neck breakers, but... <sighs> you know, he reminds me of, actually, now that he's... Because when you see him, he's in such ripped shape. He's like muscles... All over him, he's like his veins yeah. are popping. It reminds me of um, there was a Russian wrestler called Alexander Karelin, who's widely considered to be like the greatest Roman, uh, Greco-Roman wrestler that's ever lived, and he won like three Olympics, lost in like the fourth one. Yeah, but he was huge. So he's like this guy. He looked exactly the same as um, Klitschko. Right, massive, 
teeming muscles. And uh, what his opponents used to do, because in Greco-Roman wrestling, it's all about pinning the other guy and whatever. And so what his opponents used to do is they'd be terrified of him because he was unbeaten for the best part of, like, 15 years. Yeah. And so his opponents, after they realised couldn't beat him, would just um, they'd line their stomach... When they when they used to wrestle Corella. Oh, I thought you said line their stomach like you do before you go out on a session. <laughs> you say lie on, stomach. right? Yeah, lie on their stomach. <laughs> yeah, they just line their stomach with a pint of milk. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they lie like flat yeah. on the ground. And all in Greco-Roman wrestling, it's all about the points you get. And so their plan was he can get as least points as possible, and we'll How turn them over. All this stuff. <laughs> And uh, what Corellin used to do, because he was so massive and so strong, he used to just, he would look at the line on the ground, he would just walk over, stand beside them, and just he'd put his hands underneath their body. And you're talking about men who weigh maybe like 18, 19, 20 stone. He would just put his hands in, grab under their flesh, pick them up in the air, and kind of suplex them down on the ground until he knocked them all out. That's what Corellin used to do. Why would, why would they lie on the floor? Oh, I'm very confused. It was one of those because he was so good at wrestling. Oh, they just—they had no chance of beating him standing up because he was so physically. So they just lie impressive. on the floor. Yeah, but it's What's all the it, point of that. <laughs> in Greco-Roman wrestling, the real, the rules are weird. Where the type of points you get, but they always thought it was like a better advantage. Should line your stomach. Once he gets in like said position, they can always twist over and do whatever it is that Greco-Roman wrestlers right. used to do. Anyway, that's what Klitschko reminds me of. Oh, okay. So, uh, <laughs> any of you Alexander Cradden fans out there? Yeah. You're oh, welcome. You were welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, we've got struggling enough to get boxing fans listening to this. Again, <laughs> fucking niche wrestling. It's an uncatered to market. I think we should, I think we should branch we out. Branch out, yeah. <laughs> uh, what was the next one? So I guess these are like the two biggest fights in the last couple of weeks. So um, uh, Tim Bradley. Yeah. So this is on the 12th of October. I know you watched this one like, did, yeah. a couple of days ago. Welterweight division. Tim Bradley coming up against uh, Juan Manuel Marquez. And uh, Bradley's still unbeaten. Doesn't have that many knockouts, but 31 fights, 31 and 0. He doesn't have much power, but he can. Knows how to box. He moves. He's got a good work rate. He's quick. He's. Yeah. What do you think? Was it a fair decision? I think so. I felt, I mean, I know some people said it was a bit of another or weren't happy with the decision, but when I watched it, I just felt there were a lot of close rounds. It was a very close fight, but they were just in too many of the rounds. I felt that Bradley just edged it he was just doing a little bit more his work rate and mm. he was just yeah for me I thought it was the right decision I mean we'll move on to the next one because this involves the uh, uh, Tim Bradley's last kind of fight of the year contender oh yeah so um, this weekend just gone so the Saturday 19th of October Mike Alvarado uh, in the junior welterweight division Mike Mile High Alvarado <laughs> thank you very much versus uh, the Siberian Rocky Roslan Provodnikov yeah and um I don't know if I should give this away because there was a fellow I was speaking today at work and he hadn't seen the fight yet because it was only a couple of days ago and everyone can't watch it live. But um, Well, this won't be out for a couple more days. Oh, there we go. In which case, I mean, <laughs> kind of lived up to the expectations. Everyone was expecting a war because Alvarado knows how yeah. to deliver a lot of pain. I actually, I kind of suspected this might <coughs> go the way it go just because it reminded me a lot of Alvarado's first fight with Rios. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I just felt looking up Provodkin off and the way he was against Bradley and things I just I didn't think Alvarado would be able to hold him off as long as he was able to hold Rios off in the second fight I mm-hmm. didn't think I thought he would struggle to stay you know on the outside permanently dance and run away I just always felt like Provodkin off was gonna close that gap and I don't know he's got more power than Rios he's really he does have some Siberian Siberian, <laughs> Siberian power <laughs> yeah I'm a big I mean, fan of that guy he's just um, yeah he's got a good face about him he does a very unusual <laughs> face and the sooner he finishes his career and the sooner we can do didn't used to be a boxer <laughs> um, but yeah I mean it's for me what did you think did you think he uh, again, for I don't know what I say, but um, I expected Alfredo to be able to stand up to the uh, pressure more. I thought he, not that he uh, lacks anything with heart or chin, but I thought there'd yeah. be enough kind of wherewithal about him to be able to slip, and miss more of those punches. I guess it's just it's hard to know the accumulation of power. Yeah, com- it's true. Like how much that was that was it. Like there were times where Alvaro, I think he took he took quite 
the feeling I got early on in the early rounds, he took too many big shots, which he didn't need to, and he was able to stand up to them, but much like his first fight with Rios, I wondered, is that going to be crucial down the line? Mm. Has he taken a bit? Because that's what happened then, but yeah. yeah. Anyway. But anyway, but yeah. I think I think the corner did the right thing stopping the fight. It was stopped by the corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought so as well. Um, because he was, at that stage, he'd been down twice. Was, oh, on a different topic, but on the... Anyway, I watched uh, Anthony Joshua... I watched that, yeah. The uh, British uh, Olympic champion, gold medalist. I mean, technically, we should have lost the final, but has never... We no, technically, he should have lost his first fight against the Cuban guy. <laughs> Just definitely lost that, but God bless Olympics and cricket <laughs> judges. If the Russians are allowed to Majesty. do it... But anyway, he had his um, uh, professional uh, debut uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he came up against this, uh, I think it was an Italian guy, whose record was maybe like eight, no, no losses anyway. And the Italian guy clearly came to a fight. But it's one of those, towards the end of the fight, when after like two minutes, Joshua's all over him, starts to land at these massive uh, yeah. straight rights. And it's one of those type of things where the referee could have blatantly stepped in, maybe almost like a good 30 seconds. Do you know what I mean? Before that actually no, I, stepped in, and he took, for me, there was like quite a lot of punches where... No, I watched it. I didn't feel, I thought it was stopped at the right time. No, okay, but... I um, think. <laughs> I, can't, I can't really remember, but it doesn't stick out. When I watched it, I didn't think it was irrational. <laughs> so, let me go back for a second to that uh, UFC thing that I watched oh. uh, earlier on, just quickly. <laughs> that um, midway through, like the... Uh, like the first and second round, the referee had to come over. One of the uh, Sanchez, I think, had a massive kind of cut over his eye. Yeah. And the referee uh, had to come in and go, stop the action, goes to the doctor and says, okay, can you have a look? And I'm talking like a massive, like a centimetre wide gap, blood streaming down his face. One of those yeah. type of things where it's, listen, this guy clearly has to yeah. go straight to the hospital. Doctor walked in, flashed that little torch in his eye. So went, you're right, mate. And he went, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. He went, that's, that's good enough for me. Right? <laughs> Where was the cut, though? Literally, right over it, through the eyebrow. Was it above the eyebrow? Above. Just, yeah, that's Careening so, blood down. Yeah, but that's not so bad. It's only Enough where he was, like, blind out of one eye. eye, could barely see. Yeah, but blood, blood's like water, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Is that how the phrase goes? Blood's like water, isn't it? When you talk about your family. And <laughs> on that bombshell. <laughs> okay, yeah, we'll move on. That's the room. Yeah so, reviews. yeah, so much for brief reviews this week. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so uh, it's the next part of the show, and uh, it's back. We've got a didn't used to be a boxer. Uh, it's all coming back this week, isn't it? So uh, I think the last couple of ones we did like basketball players and whatnot, but this time a proper boxer, and this guy's still alive, and his story's fantastic. So um, this week we're going to look at Iran Barkley. I so, ran. Uh, I ran. The Blade Barkley, born in 1960 in the Bronx in uh, New York. So he's uh, obviously like a re- uh, retired American boxer. Held world titles at middleweight, super middleweight, and then light heavyweight all during the late 80s and early 90s. And I guess before I go into his story, the moral of this is just do not hang out with Eddie Murphy. Bear that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, if there's one thing that I learned off the Beverly Hills Cop films and old McTaggart don't <laughs> hang out with Eddie Murphy the man will drag your career down it's you a lot of gets you a lot of grief that's what happened here and uh, anyway so around Barkley he's like a, a six foot one he's known as like a brawler so like a real aggressive uh, boxing style able to like absorb like heavy blows and basically got his name the blade in some respect for getting like a, his own he delivered like those like kind of slashing hooks and real vicious uppercuts oh yeah and uh, in his prime he fought with like there's a great quote here. In his prime, he fought with like real relentless uh, kind of energy. One a sports writer described him as an angry brawler who jumps in an opponent's face and hangs on on the way in the way a doberman hangs onto a piece of meat. <laughs> Not really sure how you can apply that. To, like, how do you hang on somebody's face with a... oh, anyway. Love it. Anyway, it's um. I guess he's most famous for, uh, well, he, there's a quote from Bart himself. So he says, Tommy Hearns, I'm the only man who beat him twice. Marvin Hagler, Leonard, they didn't want to fight me. I could have beaten both of them. It was the promoters that took my titles. Yeah. I love that. And that and Roberta Duran. Oh, we'll come into that uh, he later didn't, on. He, he, didn't, he didn't lose to Roberta Duran. Not in my eyes. Oh, uh, we'll come on to that in a bit. So anyway, he, um, born in 1960, started boxing, or put on his first pair of gloves in like in 1974 when he was in like 14. 
um, by like the early 80s, got himself, like really quite impressive, I suppose, like an amateur record, became silver in like the New York Golden Gloves, bronze medal in the World Championships in like 1982. Wow. So anyway, it was his first fight in 1982 against, oh, I'm a big fan of this, a white guy called Larry Air Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> when was this 82? That was 82. Oh, probably Michael Jordan nicked it off that, did he? I, I, I'd hope so. Probably. Had his last fight in 1999 against Keith the Fighting Knight McKnight. <laughs> so, along the way, so, right, some of the guys that he's faced. Jerry, Bionic Hand, Coatsy. Oh, this is... Let's bring back the 80s, that's what I'd say. <laughs> Obviously, everyone knows Tommy the Hitman Hearns, Michael, friend of the show, second to none. Oh, yeah. Nigel, the Dark Destroyer Ben. Yeah. about Darren, Schoolboy Van Horn. Right, and my personal favourite, there's a boxer called Kinchin who he fought like towards the end of his career. Oh, yeah. This is James, if he can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. Oh, that was fantastic. <laughs> That's a proper nickname. Okay, oh so... Oh, um, God. That's good. <laughs> for Barkley, so basically, first challenge for a world title is like uh, in 1987 against uh, Sumbu. I um, might need to do a break just to go over that. If you can't stand <laughs> the heat, get out of the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> so he fought in 1987 against... Uh, so this guy's like a bit of a... I think he's Italian by way of Africa. Uh, Sumbu Kumbule. And, uh, Italian I mean, by the way of Africa? Yes, yeah, like Zaire, I think he might have been from. Okay, yeah. And um, anyway, this is like Kumbale was like a middleweight champion back in the um, in the late eighties. Anyway, fought him in nineteen eighty seven, lost on like a split decision. Comes in nineteen eighty eight, and he comes up against Tommy Hearns for the first time. And this went down as like Ring Magazine's upset of the year. And the way that um, Barkley described it is, he cut me on my eyes and busted my lip. I knew had to. I knew I had to go street, and I knew I had to go out and get him. And then. So the, <laughs> this, the fight only lasted like three rounds. Again, it was completely upset the year. This was Hearns leading all the way through. Yeah, I remember, yeah. And then round three, around Barkley. I was barely born. But what I mean is, <laughs> I, I remember, I've read about it. And at round three, Barkley just comes over a big right hand and boom, lands on Tommy. Tommy goes to the ropes, around comes in, suddenly he's the newest uh, WBC Never middleweight champion. That was his big problem. Never had the best chin, Tommy. Never had the best chin. Uh, and everything else. Give though. him Hagler's chin. Yeah, well, the weird thing is, so... This is like, he starts getting into like the big position. Now he's world champion. Next fight, as you mentioned, he comes in against a Roberto Duran. Loses via split decision. And this was, uh, I mean, Ring Magazine had this like a fight of the year. Oh yeah, it's fantastic this fight. you got to watch it. I mean, according to Rand Barkley, and there's a quote from him, he says, I couldn't win that fight because Ray Leonard didn't want to fight me. And so they needed my belt and they just stole it from me. Well, I, I did, yeah, I, you watch it and... It was a it's a hell of a fight, and given Roberto's age and everything, and the fact he's stepping up to that, you just he's just a huge underdog who's been written off, and you're just like the heart he shows and what he does in that fight. You kind of you you want to give it to him just because of what he's <laughs> achieved. But I honestly, and on heart, looked at that fight and felt that Iran Barkley just probably took it. it. And uh, I mean, it makes a good point, I suppose, because um, after that loss, it was next fight. His purse was like six grand. Duran, on the other hand, went off to fight Leonard and won like four for like ten million pounds, yeah, or ten million dollars. Yeah, suppose. but there was a bit more to that, wasn't that? That was after that was the fight that Duran yeah, had been chasing for about yeah, however years. many years it was. And, and uh, anyway, so, so following the defeat to uh, Duran, that he went off and he fought the undefeated Michael Nunn, who we talked about a couple of shows ago. Yeah, loses that in like a real close decision. Then he comes up. This is like a real, like in terms of like a quality of fighter who's coming up again. Next one, Nigel Ben, again. Well, to be fair, that one gets knocked out in the first round. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, during his career, he earned somewhere close to like $5 million and enjoyed some of the finer things in life. So he had like oh, a custom yeah. Mercedes, the finest of jewellery fur clothes. In his own words, he said, I had $40,000 in my closet. I used to keep my money in my house. That's the way I am. I hate banks. I just hate them. He's <laughs> <laughs> a good boy. So um, anyway, so after like three big losses in the row, so he loses to uh, Duran, loses to uh, Michael Nunn, loses to uh, Nigel Benn. Three of the best fighters ever, I'd argue. Uh, I mean, they're all fantastic. Certainly like the best fighters of the uh, 80s, 90s. So anyway, comes 1992, and this time he comes up, gets like his uh, career somewhat like, kind of resurrected. So he comes up against Darren, the schoolboy Van Horn, uh, for IBF, a super middleweight thing. Anyway, comes out, Barkley knocks him out in two rounds. Grand. So he's back on that kind of winning streak. He follows it up in the same year, again fighting uh, Tommy Hearns, this time for a uh, lightweight title. Bang. Whitson's 12 round split decision. Two victories over Tommy Hearns is no mean feat. Oh, no. And again, and um, 
So we go to like uh, 1993. Has and, anybody uh, ever had two victories over Tommy? Uh, Probably not. That might be true, actually. Maybe he's the only one. It's the very impressive. One. It's the only one. And it's, anyway, it comes to like uh, 1993, and they, he finally gets like a big money payday that he's after. Unfortunately, he fights John James Lights Out Tony. Gets paid a million dollars, but Tony just... Wipes the floor. Yeah, yeah but systematic kind of beat down. Over the course, like, um, and uh, Teddy wins. Probably eating hamburgers while he was doing <laughs> This is back in the day when James Tony was proper lights out, not the big fat man yeah, that we, yeah. we all know and love today. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, after this loss, basically decides, that's it. This I can't keep my weight down. I'm moving up to heavyweight, because that's always the best way. Finally gets himself, in 1994, like, the last big... Never knew he moved up to heavyweight. Never knew that. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, like, in 94, it wasn't, like, the greatest title or anything, but he comes up against a fellow called Henry Maskey, this German fellow. And um, gets knocked out, TKO in round nine. After that, he had 25 more, like, official contests. This is more for, like, kind of pitiable money amounts, really, through all kind of lax athletic commissions who maybe shouldn't have been fighting or fighting in kind of distant foreign countries, fighting, like, in Australia, fighting in Finland. So, anyway, during the 80s and 90s, pretty much frittered all his money away, so maybe earned about $5 million. All of it gone. His quote was, I was hanging out with Eddie Murphy in our senior hall. <laughs> I had to keep up. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, a tough that's a tough man to keep up with I mean it's, the story's about him like he go back and throw block parties in the Bronx did you know he married a Spice Girl who? Eddie Murphy oh yeah <laughs> no, no he didn't marry he didn't yeah, marry yeah he did marry her no, no. He, just, no, he just got pregnant and then did a runner <laughs> <laughs> Mel B always like Mel B she's a lot better looking now than she was back in the uh, oh, she was pretty good looking back then as well back in the 90s and um anyway so no Jerry <laughs> 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 Come on, let's get back right, on. We'll We're this fucking up. talking about the Spice Girls. Okay, so he's hanging out with Eddie Murphy in our senior hall. And um, one of the friends said, listen, there's a quote about him, about a Bartley says, the friend said, he would just give you like the shirt off his back. He had a heart of gold. I don't know where his money went, but they always help people out. It's nice. I like that. It's nice sentiment. Anyway, Probably so, helping out Eddie Murphy. So <laughs> he finally announces his retirement uh, in 1999. And his, like, his record was like 43 wins and like 20 uh, losses. I mean, towards the end, he's going for like real kind of paltry paydays and like real obscure venues. Last, I think, like his nine final kind of fights. Anyway, so he retires from boxing. So early come 2000, he's about 40 years old. He works out in uh, Gleason's gym in Brooklyn, going around schools, doing like handy work. So no real uh, kind of proper job. Yeah. In 2006, he's 46 years old. He gets himself an unsanctioned heavyweight bout in Aruba. Any of you drunk with Yeah, that's, that's that just off the south? north coast of uh, Venezuela. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. Anyway, he was, he was paid $7,000 to fight some young and up and coming prospect in front of I don't know who watches boxing in Aruba. Anyway, Barkley, even Arubians. Is it Arubians? Would it be? It better be. Well, <laughs> <laughs> <Or> what? <laughs> anyway, Barkley comes out, knocks him out like two rounds. Comes to, now he's 48 years old, 2008. And, uh, Coming into his prime, he fights. Like uh, he gets a six-round draw, and then again another unsanctioned exhibition bout. And this is he fights in Idaho in the P. Norwaz Community Center of the Nas Percy Tribe. Guys, so he spoken, is fighting in the spoken like you were you were Native American yeah, through and through. <laughs> again, once again, one of my favorite topics: the murky, murky world of Indian casinos. Well, it's normally Indian casinos. This time, I think it's actually fighting in a leisure center. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> you know what I mean? Murky. This is a community hall he's fighting in. Murky, murky world. <laughs> anyway, so now he's running low on money. And um, he goes around to like, uh, pick up like a little bit of cash, like autograph shows. Uh, and uh, he's still kind of complaining about missing like the massive payday against Leonard. And um, according to Bob Arum, who was like his promoter during the 90s, uh, he said that, uh, listen, Iran never made Ray Leonard or Tommy Hearns type money. But we did have a big number, like uh, big money fights. Listen, the reason is, he just keeps giving it all to casinos. That's the real story. We tried to stop him. We tried to stop him. Yeah. Around just don't listen. Anyway, What, by... what Bob didn't realise is it's, it's, it's quite fun giving money. <laughs> <laughs> it's Especially Indian right. casinos. Yeah. As long as you take a bit back so every now and again. Every now and again. You need to... Yeah. Anyway, I mean, he ends up selling, like, his two championship belts. His middleweight belt, which I guess is, like, his most impressive one. That, um, How much did he get? Doesn't say. Lost or stolen. Somewhere along the line. Anyway, it comes to November 2010. And there's a headline in the uh, New York Post. And the headline is, Iran, the Blade Barkley, the Blade Barkley, once a legendary ring warrior with a half a dozen championship belts, is homeless. 
Oh, really? Yeah, so the st- story is that his niece, he lived in an apartment block uh, with her in the Bronx. He hadn't been able to pay the bills for like a, a few months. And then anyway, came home one day, the niece had changed the locks. He literally slept oh. on the subway for like five months. And uh, he basically subsisted by you know, like a circle of friends who'd offer him meals, to give him like a couple of nights in a hotel. And uh, what he said to the paper is, listen, I used to have lots of things, like apartments and cars, but the money just went away. You have to pay your trainer, you pay your manager, you pay Uncle Sam. I had two divorces and four kids. After that, there's just not much left. I don't like to call it homeless. I like to call it down on my luck. Oh, well... That's attitude. It's a good attitude. Yeah. Fortunately, not going to end there, because that'd be a rubbish ending. Eddie steps in. Boom! I've just made Nutty Professor <laughs> 2. <laughs> and I'm taking you back to the top. April 2011, New York Daily News headline. Former middleweight champion around the blade Barkley is no longer homeless. Yeah. Yeah, people, come on. So after five months of living in like a shelter, he uh, finally got a place called his own. There's some charity, I'll give him like a shout out, called Bronx Works, which helps with like um, uh, retired boxes and helps in the kind of South Bronx community. Anyway, put out the story. We got picked up in the newspaper. They heard about it and said, we'll just give him, yeah, we'll give him like an apartment block. One of those kind of social oh, housing things. Yeah, so he got picked up in there. And so, um, yeah, he's been living there for the last couple of years. I'd just say, if you go to the Bronx, you can go to uh, Bronx Works, that charity. They'll tell you where he lives. Oh. I mean, if you just happen to pop by or whatever. But I'll finish on his last quote, just to kind of wrap it up. Say hi from us. Absolutely. And um, and you can tell him from me, you definitely beat Roberto Durand. His final quote. When I fought Hearns, nobody thought I could beat him. But I wasn't afraid. I'm a Bronx guy. I'm used to getting hit with bricks and bats. Yeah. Loving it. Lovely. <laughs> so that's it. Around the Blade Barkley. Love that's that, dude. That's good. I mean, I was hoping for a little bit more Eddie Merckx stuff on Eddie Merckx. <laughs> <laughs> and the high price that it pays. <laughs> I was thinking we could do a spin-off segment called Didn't um, Didn't you Used to Hang Out with Eddie Merckx. <laughs> <laughs> Just people who, uh, who've been... Yeah. That would be cool, I'd say. But yeah. anyway, yeah, that's... Uh, didn't you used to be a boxer for this week. Great stuff. Yeah. Fantastic. Thanks, Garrett. So uh, we're coming into like the uh, last part of the show, just kind of wrapping it up. And um, so we'll have a quick look at the uh, upcoming fights over the next couple of weeks. So uh, what's the big first one? It's on uh, Saturday, 26th of um, October. It's, it's going to be Bernard Hopkins, light heavyweight division against Caro Morat. He's not the executioner anymore, is he? Yes, he's lost that sort of thing. Did he lose, how did he lose that? Oh, I just don't think he knocks anybody out anymore. So <laughs> sort of turned around and thought, ah, it's not really applicable anymore. I always thought about, it was no, more about breaking B-hop. their spirit and breaking no, their heart. B-hop. B-hop. He anyway. executes them mentally <laughs> in the press conference. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I guess he's coming against against Murat and would only be going in against a bit of a favourite. I think uh, Murat... He, I mean, just not a bad record. It's like 24 wins with, a, I think, just the one loss. But he, one of his losses is to Nathan Cleverly. Not to, like, a, yeah, yeah. it's not being dismissive yeah, of Cleverly, yeah, yeah. but you know what I mean? It's, if you're losing that, I don't think you're going to be good enough no. to be... Um, I mean, he's good all around, but I just think when it comes to somebody who's that experienced and that good... I like the fact we don't talk about B-Hop's age anymore. You know, it, like, it doesn't even get brought up in... Like, anybody talks about him, it's like, that will he get old? That's all just gone out the window. Yeah. Love it. But um, what's the next one? So uh, Kel Brook uh, is coming up against Senchenko. Yeah, I mean, this this is the guy who took who um, who beat a prime Ricky Hatt. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's the guy who, who finally retired. Uh, Hatton when he came back. Yeah. On um, uh, Kel Brook's endless he's, odyssey for he's world Ukrainian, recognition. I believe. He is indeed. Fucking want to be with that many V's. He's a lot older than I thought. He's like 36. So um, I didn't know he was that old. Yeah, he's got like a padded record. There's he's lost to Paulie Malinaji, who again I'm a big fan of. But if you're losing against Paulie Malinaji, I don't think you're going to be able to stand up against the power of Kel Brook. No. But um, again, Brook's endless, endless odyssey to one day become like a world champion. Well, just to get a, a fight, somebody of worth, which I think he wants. You know, he wants oh, yeah, to I fight, think so. and it's yeah. But uh, what else? So um, on the on a couple of weeks' time, there's going to be Kennedy. Hang on, hang on. What, oh. we, we're both so we're just to wrap. We're both going for B Hop, and we're both going for Kel. Absolutely, yeah. Cool. Uh, so next one, Kennedy Golovkin. I think we were talking about him earlier on the show, coming yeah. up against Kurt Stevens. And I just I, yeah, again, there's not hope in hell, Kurt, in Showtime Stevens, <laughs> who I'm a big <laughs> fan of. I this is such well, a massive step up in class. I know. There's I where did I get this? I I, thought I took it off um, Boxing News or something, but let me just read this out. So uh, let's talk about um, Golovkin. 
With an 89% knockout percentage, uh, Golovkin holds the greatest KO ratio in middleweight championship history. Uh, he's never been knocked down or knocked out in over 375 fights, both as a professional and amateur. Wow. I mean, when you actually think about his record, it's insanely good whenever you see him interviewed or just hear him speak he just looks like such a baby faced nice guy yeah but he's he does stalk around the ring like a you know like a, that real like intimidating factor when someone is clearly much much better than the oh, opposition you can just see just I don't mean he's got any fear and mm. I know some people will say that that's a that's a weakness to not have any fear you have to have some but no no it's a weakness for him <laughs> I've never come across any Kazakhstanian who understood the concept of fear. <laughs> uh, I don't think Golovkin's going to be the first one to break. What <laughs> um, uh, well, else is coming up? I put this in just because I was looking forward to it. So, um, again, this is on the uh, 2nd of November. Uh, it's going to be Hernan Marquez in the flyweight division coming up against Giovanni Segura. And um, <laughs> Marquez is known as, like, the mini Mike Tyson. He's in, like, a real aggressive style. It's kind of uh, hard-hitting southpaw. It's like... Close to 40 wins, only a couple of losses. Uh, I think his last one is, or his biggest one, losing to Donaire a couple of years ago. Right. But his Segura is... Here, we'll pause the show for a second and I'll show you something. All right. Right. Oh! <laughs> I'll just oh! show Richard a picture of Segura. That can't be real. Segura, uh, sorry. Uh, yeah, Segura a couple of years ago fought a fella called... Uh, what's his name? No, uh, that's not real. That's been edited. Fought a guy called Brian Valoria. And during the fight, he suffered like a broken orbital bone. You could go in online, basically just type in Giovanni Segura and like the first image will come up on YouTube or on um, Google or whatever and you can just see a picture of this. He's got one of the worst injuries I've ever seen. Literally, oh, like, there's a... some other pictures. He looks like that guy out of the Goonies. <laughs> <laughs> the, listen, there's, he broke this orbital bone over the eye. The side of his head is coming loose. No, but that one, that's like been edited. Yeah, but that's been edited, that. I think that no, that's literally just the way it was. No, the top of his skull, mate, you don't get a skull twice as big on one <laughs> side because of that. If you let, keep on letting people hit in the head, you do. But um, No, that's been edited. He's a real tough guy, but uh, anyway, yeah. Yeah, either way, horrible. But uh, anyway, that should be a really good fight against the uh, Marquez versus uh, Segura. So uh, anyway, yeah, that'll wrap it up for our... All right, great stuff. Yeah. Told you that. At least we kept that brief. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well that brings the wraps the show up. Thanks Absolutely. for listening, guys. And I hope you enjoyed 13. it. A great, uh, a great. Didn't used to be a boxer there. Can I just uh, normally at the end of the show we don't we just give out the details or whatever, but I guess you can find us online. But uh, let me give out a quick recommendation. There's a website called My Boxing Coach. So. It's a, all like a series of video by this uh, scouse uh, boxing trainer. And he goes through like the intricacies of ducking and weaving and all this yeah. sort of thing. So it's a, this kind of chubby scouser in tracky bottoms and a good deep scouse accent. All right. All right, love. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, lad. Anyway, I've found that website, literally watched it for about three hours on, <laughs> on Sunday afternoon. But anyway, yeah, that's it. Thanks for listening. Um, if you do want to get in contact... Um, we are on Facebook. If you type in Punch Drunk Boxing Podcast, we've got a group there on Facebook. Um, or you can get in contact Twitter. We're at uh, Punch Drunk Pod. Yeah. Um, and that's about it. Isn't it? That's a search online. You'll find us. Yeah, search online. Mate. Anyway, we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs>